if you will, for the sake of time, we're going to read. Because chapter one, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in. Chapter four and chapter five are kind of taking us into the final the division of the book of Revelation, the three-part outline, which I'll cover again in a minute. And so chapter four and five is kind of a, a preamble to that, if you will, in which some things have to get sorted out. And so in chapter four, we're going to settle down and we're going to begin to see some things that are necessary as we get ready to move through the rest of the book of Revelation. And so before I give you any more comments, let's stand and let's read it. I'll read the two chapters together even though we're only going to cover four verses, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in. It's so good to see all of you this morning. If you're there with me, chapter 4, verse 1, please say amen. amen. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and all around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature like a the face like a man, had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, and they do not... Rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshiped him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders uh, said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven heads and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came to, came, excuse me, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
I'm sorry, I stumbled. I had some Daniel stuff in my head as I was reading that too, as he came near the Ancient of Days. Y'all bear with me. It's too much going on. I almost exploded for a service. Now stay with me. <laughs> and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a, a sharp and golden, excuse me, a harp and golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to our God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then I took, I looked and, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and a number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessings and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying blessings and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, to, said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And Father, we thank you this morning, Lord God, as we now begin to look at this scene, that you're opening this up to us, Lord God, that you're speaking to us and teaching us by your spirit as only you can. So I pray, Lord, that you would take everything from our hearts and minds now that we worry about, that we're concerned about upon this earth and all of the, 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 the distractions even from this room, that you would take our hearts and minds and have our full attention now, Lord God, and speak to us, Lord, transforming us, correcting us, rebuking us, strengthening us, and encouraging us all of what is necessary that we may be consistently and, and, and continue to be transformed into the image of your son. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we say together, saints, amen, amen. As you sit, be encouraged today. If you, if you went to bed praying last night and woke up praying this morning, that our prayers come before his throne, and that is a wonderful thing, amen? And so we have this wonderful section of Scripture that we now go into, and this section of Scripture, if you will, as I told you before, is the third part of the divine outline that's given to us in chapter 1. In fact, we see that as we look at chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, and after these things, which is the Greek phrase metatalta, and at the end of verse 1, it says, I'll show you things that must take place after this. You see that, right? Metatalta is the Greek phrase in both places. It ties us back to chapter 1, verse 19, if you're just joining us, where we find the divine outline given to us for the book of Revelation by the Lord himself. Because in chapter 1, verse 19, the Lord speaks to John and says, write the things which you have seen, past tense. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? Okay, good. That's good interaction. That's, that's the rule here, all right? Um, and that was the Lord Jesus himself resurrected and presenting himself to John in a particular way, eyes of flame of fire, voice like the sound of a trumpet, um, walking in the midst of the seven lampstands, which represent the seven churches or the completion of the church. Y'all remember that, right? Having the seven spirits of God. And so he presented himself to us in chapter one in ways that we can, we'll need to see and understand as we go through the rest of the book. So we see a lot there that we will apply. But the second part of the outline, remember, was write the things which are present tense. Y'all remember that? 
Well, what was what was present then was the church age, which we have looked at and, and even looked at the prophetic picture of that, the history of the church or everything that happened during the church age, as you wrote to the seven churches dealing with seven conditions. But the last part of that outline was and write the things which must take place after this or literally as chapter four, verse one says after these things or you could simply say after the church. In other words, after the age of the church, there are some things that will take place. And as we now get ready to go into that third part of the outline, as we're working up to some things, it's almost as if we, we first have to have some orientation given to us in chapter four. Because, you know, many people say that the Bible acronym stands for basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Anybody ever heard that before? I, I almost think that's true as I look at chapter 4 because chapter 4 is before we can look at the wrath being poured out in the tribulation period, which starts in chapter 6. We have to see what initiates that in the heavenly scene, which I believe is the inauguration of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords as he takes the scroll out of his father's hand and begins to open the seals and unleash his wrath upon the earth because the wrath comes from Jesus. That's why the church is removed first. And we have to understand that this, if you will, is this wonderful scene that is well anticipated. And before that, we have to get acclimated to that heavenly scene. Because we got to kind of know how to function, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about that more as we go through this. And, and I want you to pay, pay particular attention to it, okay? Listen to me. Because when you get to heaven and you hear the four living creatures Give glory to God. And you stand around and look like you don't know what to do. I'm going to say, Jesus, it's not my fault. I taught through the book of Revelation several times, and they know they're supposed to fall down and worship. You understand what I'm saying? So you need to pay attention to what's going on because we need to know because we're going to be doing this one day. And we need to be ready for that. And I encourage you to begin to prepare yourself as we go into this. Now, listen to me. A lot of people talk about heaven. And you hear, uh, you know, they write books and, and there's a lot of things. And, and, and sometimes some of them I actually believe. I've actually talked to a man face to face last year who did die and, and his wife was there and, and he was dead. The prayer request went out and, and, um, and, and the doctors were able to eventually revive him. And I can't remember how many minutes he was gone. And, and he had this look on his face. I was standing there talking to him. He had this look on his face and you could tell he wasn't playing that Jesus he experienced the presence of the Lord. He didn't go into this throne room, but he did experience the presence of the Lord telling him to go back. And so he's back telling everybody about Jesus, you know, <laughs> which is very interesting. People talk about it. They write books and we hear a lot of things. And I think some have experienced it. I want to give you um, uh, just a, a, a one glimpse of one man who was born, his name uh, really quick, was William Tennant Jr., born in 1705. He was dead for three days. It's recorded. Um, he was dead for three days. He was cold and stiff. And the prayer, everybody in the church was praying for him. And, and his, his best friend was a doctor, and he refused to let them bury him. He was praying, and, and they kept him for three days. And then finally, he came back. And so after he recovered a while later, somebody asked him, what happened? Do you remember anything? And his words were, I found myself in an instant in another state of existence under the direction of a superior being who ordered me to follow him. And, and I accordingly followed. And he says, 
and I know not how, till I beheld at a distance an infallible glory, the impression of which on my mind is impossible to communicate to mortal man. I immediately reflected uh, uh, upon my happy change and thought, well, blessed be God. I am safe at last, notwithstanding all my fears. I saw an innumerable host of happy beings surrounding an inexpressible glory and acts of adoration and joyous worship, but I did not see any bodily shape or representation in the glorious appearance. But I, he says, I heard things unutterable. Sounds like Paul. I heard their songs and hallelujahs and thanksgiving and praise and unspeakable rapture. I felt joy unutterable and full of glory. I requested permission to join the happy throng when the conductor tapped me on the shoulder and said, you must return to earth. This seemed like a sword through my heart, he said. In an instant, I recollected seeing my brother standing before me disputing with the doctor he was back and his brother and the doctor having an argument and you know the the the, the account goes on to say that he passed out several times after coming back and and it was difficult for him to get reacclimated but but he all he wanted to do was talk about the lord and an account of another man that i um recently uh looked at and 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 watched he died and he was gone he was literally dead for 45 minutes and and he had a similar experience of, of experiencing this overwhelming joy and presence of god if you will and he had to come back as well and when he woke up in the hospital room the nurse said everything's okay and he looked around he couldn't speak because the tubes coming out of his mouth he said no everything ain't okay you don't know where I just came from. <laughs> He's looking around, this ain't okay. I had to come back to this mess, you see. And so everybody's telling their stories about heaven, and everybody's writing their books about heaven. And I have to say that for the believer, we're gonna, as we look at this, we're going to see, uh, I think, a glimpse of heaven not a vision, but a glimpse of what's actually going on, and I think it will bless us, and I think it will begin to change and, and shape us. You see, uh, Adrian Rogers said this, this. This thing should shake us up. It should make us want to experience it. It should make us want to get right. Adrian Roberts wrote about this. He says, I believe that a great number of people are going to die and go to hell because they're continuing on their, uh, they're counting on their religiosity, if you will, in the church instead of their relationship with Jesus to get them into heaven. They give lip service to repentance and faith, but they're never, they've never been born again. And I believe as we go through this, I want you to be challenged to question your own faith. Let's dive in and let's look at what John tells us. Chapter 4, verse 1, look at it there with me. And it says, after these things, or literally after the church age, if you will, says, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. It's very interesting as he sees a door standing open in heaven. And remember, John is in the spirit on the Lord's day. Y'all remember that from chapter one, right? The literal translation is in chapter one, verse 10. I came to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. And so at this moment, John sees this door open. And it's very interesting because throughout scripture, we do see a door or the window or the door of heaven opened up. In fact, I'll give you a few of them. In Ezekiel chapter 1, you can look at it in verse 1. Heaven is open to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel doesn't get caught up into heaven, but Ezekiel sees heaven, if you will, come to him. He sees the, 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 the literally, the, the, he sees the four cherubim. 
And he describes them, and above them is an expanse, and above that literally is the presence of God or the throne, I believe, of God itself. And Ezekiel gets a chance to see that. But not only that, we know that the heavens were opened at Jesus' baptism. How many of y'all remember that? When, when the, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove and rested upon him. Y'all remember that? Not only that, we see that heaven was opened in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, while Stephen is being stoned to death. And he looked and he's gazing and he's, he's overjoyed as the stones are bouncing off of his body and he's no longer feeling them because he sees the heaven open and he sees the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The only time we see him standing, he's always sitting, but he's standing there to receive his first martyr, which I always think is special. Heavens were open for Peter in Acts chapter 10 as he sees the sheep being let down out of heaven, bound at the four corners, as God was transitioning him, preparing him for his ministry, short-lived ministry to the Gentiles. Y'all remember that? Okay. And not only that, the Bible tells us that, that there will be a door open in heaven in Revelation 19 when Jesus returns to earth to conquer and destroy his enemy and establish his own kingdom. And throughout Bible, we see these times and these pictures where heaven is open. But here is distinctly different in chapter 4, verse 1, because the heaven is open not for God's revelation to come down, not for the spirit to descend, or not for God to come down and give a glimpse to a prophet. Heaven is open so that man can finally pass on and through to him, John being that representative. And it is beautiful as we begin to gaze upon it because notice it says here, after these things, I look and behold a door standing open. And this word in the Greek for door, it, it really implies vegetable, if you will, a thoroughway. It, it literally, listen, it means a portal, an entrance, or a gate. In other words, there is an opening at this moment into heaven so that, listen, those who live in this limited, John, who lives in this limited dimensional sphere of existence that is limited in every way could get into the third heavens where God exists himself. It's almost as if what the scripture is saying is at this very moment, there's a tear, a break, an opening in the fabric of time and space so that John can pass from this realm to that realm, of which there's no other way for man to pass as a, uh, uh, other than for God to open the door and allow him. And so we see this. And so he says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And this is beautiful. And stay with me. And he says here, and the first voice which I heard, notice he says, was like a trumpet. And we're going to see a lot of likes as we go through this because heaven is too inexpressible to really put into words where we can understand. So it's like a trumpet. It's a sharp blast that you can almost, you can hear it, and it sounds like a trumpet, John is saying. And, and we love that because that ties us to several places in Scripture. We understand this because Paul says, listen to me carefully. Paul says that the resurrection of the saints, that be those of you who believe, will happen at the blast of a trumpet. Because in 1 Corinthians, I don't have it in my notes, but 1 Corinthians 15 says, I maybe, uh, maybe you have it. There it is. It says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's why John has to be in the spirit to go, right? 
We know that we can't go into heaven. Nobody can stand before God in this fleshly body. We'll be consumed. No one has seen God at any time except the only begotten of the Father has declared him. We understand that, right? So in order for us to go to heaven, this has to be changed. He goes on to say, um, he says that I uh, cannot inherit the kingdom of, of God, nor does corruptible inherit incorruption. If you go forward, it says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. What he's saying is whether you experience the rapture or you die, Nevertheless, we must be transformed, if you will, or resurrected to experience heaven fully. And he says this in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is the, is the shortest, uh, the shortest uh, point of time that can be measured. It's faster than that. For the trumpet, he says, will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, those who are alive at that moment, shall be changed. So he says here, the trumpet will sound. And at that moment, this thing will happen where the church will meet the Lord in the air. The dead will rise first, Paul says, in another place. And then those who are alive will be caught up with them in the air. We'll talk about that. Paul also tells us over in that 1 Thessalonians verse 4 that the Lord himself will sound the trumpet because it says in 1 Thessalonians verse 4 that he will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Pictures are, are wrapped up in that of the, the wedding ceremony for the Jewish people as the bridegroom would not go get his bride until his father, whom he had been working with, was satisfied with him and says, you can go get your bride. So he didn't know until the father said so. Then he would go and get his bride with his groomsmen, and they would make sounds and blow trumpets. And she had to be ready when he came because she didn't know when he was coming. Jesus picks up on all of those images throughout the Gospels and throughout the rest of the Bible, giving us some clues to be ready because a trumpet will blast and we will meet the Lord in the air. Y'all know that. And so we understand these things and it all ties us here because Jesus' voice is told in chapter 1, is told to us, John describes it as sounding like a trumpet. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The literal translation is I came to be in the spirit on the Lord's day or into the day of the Lord and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a, y'all remember what? Trumpet, the Lord Jesus himself. And I believe this is a picture, John getting caught up, is a picture of what is coming, what we're looking forward to. And notice it says here in chapter 4, verse 1, and so he says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here. I love that. And notice it says, it says Come up here, and then he says here, And I, I will show you things that must, must, must take place after this, and immediately I was in the Spirit. He says here, so immediately he's in heaven. You catch that? He's on the Isle of Patmos. He sees the Lord in chapter 1. The Lord gives him what he wants to deal with within the church, chapter 2 and 3. But then a door standing open in heaven, a voice like a trumpet says, come up here. And he's in heaven. And I love that. You see, what we know as the rapture, even though you don't find the word in scripture, is taught throughout. The Bible says Enoch was not because he was taken. The Bible says that Elijah, that a chariot of fire went between Elijah and Elisha and separated them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind. We understand that. The Bible tells us that the angel said to Lot, I can do nothing. I can pour no wrath out until you are out of here, and they were taken out of Sodom, if you will. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, when the Bible says that those who are alive and remain shall be caught up, the Greek word is harbatso. 
caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. It's very interesting. It means to seize, to carry off by force, to snatch away. It's the transporting of a person from one place to another, from earth into heaven, if you will. In fact, we see it pop up in Scripture. Y'all remember in Acts chapter 8 when Philip had baptized the Ethiopian eunuch? Y'all with me today? Everybody okay? It says that when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, listen, caught away Philip, Hypatso, and the eunuch saw him no more. In other words, he was there, and then the Lord just took him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I knew a man in Christ, he's speaking of himself humbly, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth such a one was caught up, harpazo, into the third heaven. And there's our word. And I love it. It's a picture throughout scripture of a time when God catches away those that belong to him and they don't experience the wrath that is coming. And we see that picture here with John. And so he says, after these things, I, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. Y'all stay with me. And the voice, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. And I will show you the things which must take place after this or after the church. And immediately I was in the spirit. And as we begin to fathom this, this this speaks of a a specific point in time as a primary preposition that denotes a specific point and state of time. He is literally in the spirit because flesh and blood cannot enter into heaven. Now, John is standing there. Now, you got to understand something here. As I told you in chapter one, this is not a vision for John. It's not like you being in a trance and seeing a vision or having a dream. This is not Broadway. This is not a show. John is taken, if you will, into the throne room in heaven at the point where the inauguration of Jesus takes place and he takes the scroll out of his father's hand. And I have to tell you that flesh and blood cannot, we cannot wrap our brains around this. I had to leave my office and go for a walk when I began to think about this because I think that smoke must have been coming from my head because my brain cells couldn't handle this. Because I believe that what is happening is is that he is standing there, as I told you, at the time and location in which this takes place. Well, wait a minute then. It's been 2,000 years and we're still in the church age. So the after these things, as far as the way we can uh, understand it has not taken place yet. So what does this mean, God? Did you take John forward in time so he can see it? Has it already happened? Or are we still waiting for it to happen? How does it work? And listen, there's no way for me to grasp because his ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I can't figure this out. It's too wonderful for me to even to begin to think about. In other words, it's, it's beyond our comprehension. This is not play. This is not a, a Broadway show. John went there, and he saw what we're still waiting to happen, and we can't figure it out. And this blows me away in every way that God is so big. Now, now here's the blessing, that he is so big that it's no way possible, even if I was eloquent enough and I knew enough about physics to try, it's no way possible for me to grasp the, the magnitude of what he's doing here. Thank you, God. Because I want it to be like that. Because when I get there, I don't want to ever get to a point where I think I got it. Because I know how I am. I'm sinful. I want it to always blow my mind. That's why they keep falling down. That's why you can't stand up there. 
That's why you can't fathom it, you see? And, and you got you to begin to get a glimpse of this, and, and you got to be careful not to belittle what's actually happening here. This is more than we can fully understand. Notice he says immediately in verse 2, I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And notice he says, and one sat on the throne. Now, I need you to listen to me for a second. Because a lot of times when we talk about heaven and going to heaven, we have these and we hear people talk about heaven. What we want to think about is something totally different. I want you to notice that when he got there, he didn't say, and I saw my grandmother. <laughs> or he didn't say, or, 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 or the superstar from the Old Testament that I like, like, man, there's David and Elijah and Moses. And, 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 and I got to talk to Adam about why he, why he took the fruit from Eve and ate it. All of that stuff we joke about, notice he didn't mention any of that. Did you notice that? Look at it again. He gets to heaven in verse 2 in the spirit, and he notices a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. That tells us that the presence of God is so overwhelmingly impressive that he could see nothing else. And I guarantee you that by the time you notice someone else, a thousand years would have passed. And I'll look and say, oh, dang, David's right there beside me. You've been, he's been there a thousand years. I never noticed him because what we will see when we arrive will overwhelm us to our core. It will satisfy us beyond understanding. It will be the first time ever that we'll be so satisfied, so at peace, so overjoyed that we won't even be able to imagine anything else. The one man I listened to who came back, all he wanted to do was talk about Jesus when he got back. This one happened just a few years ago. But he made this statement. He says, you know what? He says, he says, now that I'm back, you know, at first I wanted to just go back. He says, now I'm, I'm okay to be here, uh, but, I, but, but when it's time to go, I'm going to be ready. He said, because, listen, he said, because dying is easy. It's living that's hard. He says, I've already, I've already got a glimpse. When it comes time to die, I'm ready to go. It's this, this stuff down here that we got to deal with. That's the hard part. You see, A.W. Tozer said this. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Because I don't know how many times in just the two chapters I read, the elders were on their face flat because they saw a glimpse of the throne and him who sat on the throne. And if you're bored with worship down here and you die, I, I think they're going to have to send you to remedial classes when you get there. Because <laughs> you won't be ready to experience it. It'll be too much, you know. And I'm going to tell you, listen, if they put me in the back of the room when I get there and you're in front of me, you better duck. Because if you're standing like you don't know what you're doing, you're going to get hit in the back of the head with whatever he gives me to throw at him. If any kind of crown I have, because I want to worship him, because this is what we're seeing here. Heaven is not about who you want to see that you miss. And don't get me wrong, the Lord understands grief because he never created us to experience death the way we do. And death is difficult for us because it was not supposed to be a part of our experience. Because in the beginning of creation, he put in the midst of the garden a tree of life, which was supposed to sustain us so that we would live forever. But because of sin, we experience death. At the end, when it's all said and done, the tree of life will show up again for the healing of the nations. You see, we won't need it because we'll be in our resurrected state at that point. But it was never what we were supposed to experience, which is why it's so painful. But I want to encourage you now, don't think about heaven as I can't wait to see the person I miss. I want you to understand 
The truth now is that when you get there, you won't be looking for them once you see the throne which is set in the midst of everything. And all you want to do is gaze upon him and worship him. That is true worship. Worship is when we turn everything to him, when we live a life to please him, when we are acknowledge him in every day in all of our ways and he directs our path, we're already worshiping. When we are seeking him, we're worshiping. When we're praying and, and meditating on the scripture, we're worshiping. Our worship is when we are focused on the only one that matters. And see, then when you get there and you begin to worship him, you won't care who else is in the room. Because that's going to be interesting anyway, because there's going to be some people we didn't think should have been there that's going to actually make it. And some of the people we thought should be there, we ain't going to see them. Because it's, but it's all going to be focused on him when we get there, y'all. And so he says that a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he begins to describe it. And he uses like again because it's undescribable. Verse 3, he who sat on it. And you understand that he's given us a glimpse of the one that sits on the throne. And it's impossible for him to truly describe it. Notice he says he was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. Now, a jasper is a stone that is so transparent like crystal, beautiful and transparent. And then a sardis is literally a stone that's red, like blood red, you see? So you got this beautiful crystal-like image and then this red-like image, and it's probably light. And the only way you can describe it is to mention these stones so we can get a somewhat of an understanding of what he's seeing. In other words, it's a light show that's happening, and it's beautiful. And there are no smoke machines, and there are no LEDs. There's no manufactured stuff happening that we use to try to, you know, enhance something and all that kind of stuff. No, it is the power and the beauty of the Lord himself, the father and of the son on the throne. The interesting thing about these stones is that these same stones are used in worship in the Old Testament because it was when the priest would go to do his service, which was to sacrifice so that God could have fellowship with his people through the mediating service of the priest, because that's what a priest is. He's a mediator. A priest mediates between God and man. He, he, he meets man to represent God and takes the sacrifice and sprinkles the blood on behalf of man back to God so that the two can have a point of meeting, if you will. But the priest is a sinner in the Old Testament, so he has to get himself right, too. And that's why we have a new high priest, Jesus Christ, who is without sin. Amen. And we all have access to God through him, through faith in Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, the priest would wear a breastplate. And the breastplate had all of these stones, four rows of stones, four stones each, representing the 12 uh, tribes of, uh, of Israel, three stones each. And, and we know that the first one mentioned, I believe, was a sardis. You go back and look at it, I think Exodus, right around chapter 35-ish. And the last one was the jasper, if you will. They're like the bookends. It's very interesting. All these lights and all this, 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 this light coming from the throne, beautiful. In fact, notice it says here, not only that, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald, a beautiful green a rainbow, he says. Uh, scholars believe probably it looked more like a halo above the throne. And he's using these words like because it's all he can do to give us an understanding of what he's seeing. And it's so beautiful that he can barely, barely write about it. And the elders fall down and worship constantly because it's so amazing that we can't even begin to fathom 
what it's like as we're going to see all of these things unfold before us. And everybody's fo- in heaven is focused on the throne. Down here, you got the new age people manufacturing with the, you know, you know, I, I, I like LED lights. I'm not against lights. Please don't think I'm not religious. I'm not, I'm not legalistic, but they got all this stuff going on and dust falling from the ceiling through the vents and stuff. I don't know what they're doing. Trying to manufacture some experience for people. We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And so it says here, listen, around the throne, verse 4, look at it with me. We're just getting acclimated. This is orientation, all right? We've got to get an understanding. Around the throne were 24 thrones. So he sees one sitting on the throne. He sees the beauty of, of this one. And then he then notices these 24 other thrones. And notice it says, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And we got a lot of technology making sounds this morning. And notice this, these 24 thrones, y'all stay with me, and 24 elders on the thrones. And what we want to know is, who are the 24 elders? How many of you wonder, who are the 24 elders? Everybody wants to know. And there's a lot of speculation as to who they are. Some people have the audacity to say, well, they must be angels. Well, they can't be angels because as we keep reading, we find that these 24 elders are responding to something and they're singing a song of which an angel can't sing. In fact, if we glance back over to chapter 5, where it tells us in chapter 5, right around uh, verse 8, where it says that the elders fell down before the lamb, each having a heart and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song, verse 9, Notice the song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, notice, and have redeemed us to God by your what? Blood. Not only that, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us king and priest unto our God. They're saying, number one, we've been redeemed by your blood. That cancels out angels. And you redeemed us out of the tribes and tongues and nations, meaning on the earth. So the 24 elders... Now, at least we can narrow down that they're human beings. Can you imagine that? Resurrected believers, 24 of them represented around the throne of God. Oh, my Lord. Imagine what that must be like. Well, what are they doing? Well, we know what they're doing. They're falling down and worshiping, okay, and singing songs to him, representing humanity, if you will, and what he's done for us. But who are they? Well, it's 24 of them. We don't really know. Some say, well... It's got to be a, a, a mixture, if you will, a representation of Israel and a representation of the church. That's a possibility because we know in the last, in, at the end of the book when we see New Jerusalem, y'all stay with me, New Jerusalem is going to have 12 foundations, and on each foundation will be written one of the names of the tribes of Israel. It will have 12 gates, and on each gate will be written one of the names of the 12 apostles. So it is a possibility that the 12 apostles and 12 representatives from the tribes of Israel are sitting on the thrones. That is a possibility. It's a good possibility. Some say, well, no, maybe it's something to do with when David in the Old Testament had 24 courses of priests from the sons of Aaron, the two that were left, because Nadab and Abihu got smoked when they brought the strange fire. Y'all remember those cats, right? They got smoked. They didn't, they didn't hang around long. 
but with the last two songs he, he took from their family and divided amongst them 24 course of priests that represented the nation of Israel, and they did the work of the priesthood in a rotation, if you will. And I like that too. I don't know. I do know this. When we read in Revelation 3, he said to one church, if you overcome, you'll be clothed in white. You notice here in verse 4, it says, and the elders sitting clothed in white robes. And to the next church, the last one, it was Laodicea, said that those of you who overcome, I'll, I'll let you sit down with me on my throne like I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Do you remember that? And so there we see at the end of verse 4, he says, not only were they clothed in white robes, but they had, uh, they had crowns of gold on their heads and they're sitting on the throne with the Lord. We also know that scripture says that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We shall rule and reign with the Lord. So it gets a little more complicated the further I go through this. But I know Jesus. And I know the loving nature of Jesus, how before he ascended on high, he distributed gifts to men. And within the, the, the church today, the body of Christ, these gifts are used to bless all. And, and, and literally, it has nothing to do with us. It's the, what the Lord is distributing, and those who are faithful to him get used. So for all I know, these 24 elders are on a rotation, and for all I know, maybe one of you will sit one day. Who knows? We don't. What we know, and I pray that's the case, because I just want like, one day to be able to sit that close and fall down on my face and cast my throne, my... Uh, whatever I'm going to have, crown or whatever I, I get, you know, before the Lord in worship. To be able to participate in worship in heaven is wonderful. And this is what they do. And this goes on all the time. The four living creatures, day and night, 24-7, are singing glories to him. And the 24 elders keep falling down. So he might be rotating us so that we, we might need to recoup. There might be a, like a room where we recoup. You know, we probably won't need to recoup in heaven. But, but, you know, just for everybody to get an opportunity. We don't know. But this worship, listen, this is eternal worship. There is no time in heaven. Do you all understand that? Time doesn't exist. We don't even understand it. But it doesn't exist. So worship happens. There's no word for it. But just always. There's always worship happening. So now when we look to the scene, this place where we gather and we come in here, I think we need to begin to get a glimpse of this in our own hearts and our own minds. That as we approach Sunday and we're thankful that we've been able to survive the week and we need to say, well, Lord, thank you for allowing me to go into the place that you've provided, the, the congregation you've called me to be a part of to worship you. And Lord, help me to put my things aside. And Lord, blind me. I don't really want to be concerned about the person to the right or to the left unless you show me something that I need to pray for or you give me a word of knowledge or wisdom that they need to hear, Lord, so that I can be a part of the body. Otherwise, let me have my blinders on so that when I walk in, I can focus on worshiping you, singing praise to you because that's part of worship. So we need to live it you know, you need to be in prayer and be in the word so that you're built up. So when you come in, you have it in you. So then we just literally unleash with our breath the, the, the fruit of our lips. Praise to the one who gave us life. Amen. Because there are people today who have no hope. And they're panicking over this and that. And they're looking at the things that are going on. And they don't know how they're going to make it. And, you know, um, my wife and I go into the... Uh, the oncology place where the people are getting treatments and stuff and, and we see 
we see stuff and we're able to encourage people. It's a wonderful thing because it seems like um, God's people, Christians, those who are born again are magnetized somehow. I can't explain it. We always find each other. Every time we go in there, we find each other. We got prayer requests all over the triangle from different churches of people just running into each other in these places. And other people are having their head down and they're struggling. And we're like little light bulbs in there, magnetized, just attracted to one another because of the spirit of God, where we encourage each other and we're salt and light in this world until that trumpet blasts and we're done with it. That's why you don't need to be so attached to it because one day we'll leave it all behind and we won't have to worry about it. And we get to see this scene. And that's why this is orientation for y'all and for me too, okay? Now, you need to be taking notes because I'm going to tell you, when we get there, don't embarrass me. <laughs> y'all think I'm playing around. I, I, I'm not. Look, we just read chapter 2 and 3 to the angel of the church, to the angel of the church, to the messenger, the pastor, right? He's instructing them. And so he's instructing me to tell you now to act like you have read the word when we get there. And it's okay if you fall down before the four living creatures say their thing. It's okay. That's fine. Do it before. It's better than not doing it at all. Amen. <laughs> we'll fall down together. It won't matter at that point because we'll see him. But that's what this is all about. Let me see your glory. You know, Lord, uh, Moses asked, and he hit him in the cleft of a rock and let him catch the passing by the, the hind parts of it so that he could see because no one can see God and live. And then God's Shekinah glory came down on the mountain as he spoke with Moses, and Moses came down with his face shining and all, but, but that was about all he could get. But here's what we got to understand. So this is what the Bible says. Stay with me. I'm, I'm ending here. The Bible says this concerning us and our resurrection. When we see him, the Bible says... 1 John chapter 3, we shall see him as he is because we will then be like him, which means that there is so much of Jesus that we've never, that nobody's ever seen. Even the apostles, when they walk with him, he was veiled in human flesh. But when we are there before the throne, we'll get to see who he truly is because we ourselves will be like him and we'll be able to stand in heaven before the throne, before the presence of God and not be consumed, just overwhelmed with the joy of being in his presence. Amen. That's what we're going to see. And that overshadows everything that creates something in us that causes us to be able to live without the fear of death. And what are we fearing? Listen, the man, one man who died and came back says, listen, dying is easy. It's living that's hard. And so we're living just to be able to get to a point to where we can go and we can see this. So let's enjoy the things that God has given us. But there's a day coming when we'll be freed from the shackle of the human flesh that's fallen in nature. And don't listen to the prosperity teachers convince you that you're going to somehow keep fixing it up and live forever. Why would you want to live in this forever? This thing is, uh, <laughs> this is like, this is like uh, the, the economy version. This is the economy version of what we're going to get up there. I'm trying to tell you. Up there, it's going to be something totally different, and it's going to be like the resurrected body that Jesus had that was molecularly different. It wasn't bound and limited. He was able to go through walls with the doors being closed and the locks and not open them and just show up. Y'all remember that? Oh, and, and that's just, that ain't even describing everything that we're going to experience. We are moving ahead towards some glorious times in the Lord. And so come back next week for orientation class part two. As we pick it up in chapter uh, 4, verse 5, and we continue. But bow your heads now as we have to end. Let's be still for a moment and just listen. Because as we are reflecting on this, 
we have to take responsibility because if with your eyes closed, please, heads bowed, if you have not settled things with the Lord so that you're living with the, the hope of this and that you can't, you don't have the assurance that if you were to die today or die tonight, that tomorrow you would be in his presence, then the call now is that for you to repent and turn your heart to him that he may forgive you of your sin because you're separated from him by your sin. But Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin that you can be reconciled to God and have a relationship with him. And then you live with the hope of eternal life because salvation is, in the, is, is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that alone. No, no religion can get you into heaven. If you're trying to be good enough, you can't be good enough. That's why Jesus had to die. None of us can be good enough on our own and our righteousness won't get us there. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is like filthy rags to God. And we throw filthy rags away. But Jesus died that we may have life, that we can be forgiven, and we can be reconciled to God. And so if you need to get that right today, raise your hand with every head bowed, every eye closed, so that God alone can see you, and I can pray with you and for you, that you may receive forgiveness of your sin, that you would have the, the hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. You can raise your hand at any time. Father, we do thank you this morning for allowing us to be here. We thank you for all that you have done today, Lord God. We thank you for meeting us here. Lord, I pray that you would go before us, that you would lead us through this week, Lord, that you would keep us day in and day out. Let our hearts and minds be stayed upon you because you say in your word that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind and heart is, is, uh, continues on you. And we thank you for that, Lord God, and trust in you. We thank you for that this week. I pray you would go before us, our cars, our homes, our jobs, classrooms, wherever it is that we go and that you would use our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and say together, amen, amen. Why don't you stand and let's worship.